was this all going to end? Was it worth it? Was the cure worse than the disease? Is it still? How do we get out of this crisis? Because clearly, the politicians aren't going to do it. The medical industry, at least the mainstream government-sponsored one, isn't going to do it. No, it is upon us, we the people, to lead America out of the lockdown. So today we're starting with two wonderful articles from LouRockwell.com. First, by Brendan O'Neill, the public must lead us out of the lockdown. There was a fascinating clip on the news last week. ITV was reporting from a crowded beach in Brighton. People were sunning themselves, chatting with friends, necking beers. All to the fury of lockdown fanatics, of course, who view these pleasure seekers as selfish, unwitting murderers. You're killing people, as the demented cry goes. During ITV's report, a man holding a bottle of beer and mingling with his family said something really revealing. I know we're down here drinking beer. But if we carry on the way we're going, I think we're going to have a major lockdown in two weeks. And we're going to see a massive rise in deaths again. And I go, oh, oh, you mean the people who are going out are doing so just out of immediate petty desperation, not because they know that this is all ridiculous and that if there is a second wave, that we, we just we need to keep resisting and keep fighting back. Jumping ahead to APnews.com, spike in South Korea virus cases shows perils of reopening. Great fear-mongering photo attached to this one. Dudes in full, well, actually, uh, people. I shouldn't, I should not assume genders of people in hazmat suits. People in hazmat suits with some kind of scary equipment looking like it's designed to scan for the virus. From Seoul, South Korea's Mediterranean beaches and Las Vegas casinos laid out plans to welcome tourists again. South Korea announced a spike in new infections Wednesday and considered reimposing social distancing restrictions, revealing the setbacks ahead for other nations on the road to reopening. Now, if you've been paying any attention to what's really going on, again, you know that this is all nonsense. I don't know this. I'll tell this joke every freaking day if I have to, because it's funny to me every time I tell it. We're talking about a virus with a lower death rate than testifying against Hillary Clinton. And anytime I mention her name, I must say I am not now, nor have I ever been suicidal. Like just and and, and just, for people who don't know, like putting this in perspective, we've seen these numbers inflated over and over and over again, and then coming down and down and down. And remember. All of the fear-mongering that this is based on was based on the possibility of a way higher fatality rate than was at all realistic. The comparisons to the flu are apt as a virus. It is a flu-like virus. In terms of symptoms and mortality rate, similar to the flu, little respiratory difference, focus on that. You have more people who die from this than would die from a flu, dying with respiratory complications. But just wait till we get the perspective on the numbers. And if you want to do the work, you can tease this out already. 
We brought you the story yesterday that Washington State had counted a gunshot victim. A man who clearly died from gunshot wounds as a COVID-19 death because he died with COVID-19, but clearly not from it. So in order for these numbers to get teased out, what we're going to have to see over the long run is this number of 7,500 as, as, as our baseline. As how many people die in the United States on a regular day? And see, does this stay level or is, is there a surge? And if there is, then we can attribute that and just that to Corona. Except that now we have also an increase in the death rate from a lot of other complications related to the lockdown. We'll come back to the COVID-15 and the rates of depression and anxiety going through the roof right now. In many ways, clearly, the cure is worse than the disease. But what you're also going to see with these longitudinal statistics as we get sort of past this era, we're going to see that, as Ron Paul pointed out, Oh, there's a drop in deaths attributed to pneumonia. Surprise, surprise. Because people who would have died of pneumonia, maybe, maybe, and again, you know, not to discount the significance of COVID, but the comparisons to the flu, very apt because we have about the same people dying from the flu every year in the United States as we're going to see dying from Corona. Now, the death count that they're saying in the news today, oh my God, it's about a hundred thousand. Mm. Yeah, this is the time you're going to choose to trust government. I hope not. So if the death rate is, you know, I mean, half that, even if it's half that, 50,000, we're in the range of a bad flu season. And this is now something that is going to be out in the human Petri dish like the flu. People are going to get over it. People are going to get it. It's just it's just going to be out there. It's going to be something that we manage. Maybe there's a good vaccine. Maybe there isn't. So back to South Korea. The European Union, meanwhile, unveiled a huge stimulus package for the bloc's ailing economies as European nations scrambled to emulate South Korea's widely praised strategy of tracing, testing, and treating coronavirus victims, which tamed its outbreak and made it a model for the world. The EU's economics commissioner, Paolo Gentiloni, called the 750 billion euro recovery fund a European turning point to face an unprecedented crisis. How unprecedented is this in Europe? Jumping ahead to dailymail.co.uk, sex workers offered to limit customers to two positions, which minimize the risk of transmitting coronavirus to enable brothels to end lockdown in Switzerland. The association has drawn up plans to encourage Switzerland To lift the ban on sex work, guidelines include sex positions which allow for safe distance between faces. Also states bedsheets should be washed, washed and rooms aired after each customer. You see, you see this, like you see this dichotomy, right? I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that we don't have, uh, you know, better pictures with this story, but scroll down for me, please, CJ. Uh, yeah, there, there we go. There's your stock photo of a hooker on the streets. Somewhere, in, I, I don't know, what does is, what is the caption, caption say? This is for an association representing Swiss sex workers, which has drawn up a list of rules which say they can minimize the risk of transmitting coronavirus in brothels. Really? No. Remember um, Naked Gun, the full body condoms? Yeah. Like, 
you can't breathe in a full body condom. And if you can't breathe, you can't have sex. Oh, wait, I should. If you can't breathe, you can't live. If you can't live, you can't have sex. So what this really reveals is that there's this dichotomy, right? As, as we have some people just completely ignore this going, okay, really? This is, and, and, and this is kind of like we, we've entered an era of a, kind of like banana republic dictatorships. Every government around the world has transformed themselves into a joke for most of their citizens. Yeah, sorry, government. If it was, if, if you weren't, just, you're not just evil. You're an evil fucking joke now. Like, where people are just ignoring this stuff. You know, you you've managed to scare a big enough chunk of the population enough into going along with what you're suggesting. But the majority of the people just like don't get what we're like. You know, we don't we don't buy it. This is this is like okay. You want you want me to wear my bandana? You want me to wear a mask to go into some stores? Okay, so we go to uh, CBS Detroit, detroit.cbslocal.com. No mask, no service signs pop up as businesses begin to slowly reopen. What this shows is that the government was able to get this, like, pop in scaring everybody really into doing what? Into accepting an addition of $9 trillion of liquidity through the Federal Reserve System. That's really what we're talking about here. So, CJ, thank you for getting the story up. If you scroll down here, uh, can store owners require you to wear a face mask to enter? Yeah, absolutely. Set your own. This is freedom. This is like freedom rules. And I don't mean like, yeah, freedom rules. No, freedom actually rules. Like rules that like freedom is the dominant force of the world. Like you can scare people into giving up some freedom. You can scare people. You can bully people. You, you can actually threaten people. And, and, and get their compliance. But freedom rules. Businesses are going to open. Like, how many businesses, like we've seen stories. We've covered these on the show in Texas. Bar owners where they, they open up and then there's a SWAT team. Salon owners shut down with SWAT team raid. Tattoo parlor in Florida. Check out that interview we did with Clay Montgomery from Atomic Tattoo last week. They're opening regardless and they're, they're sending cops and, and code inspectors in these dorky little beige polo shirts with, with badges sewn onto them saying like county inspector. And they're going, well, we're in compliance because we're doing, and, and they go, Oh, okay. And walk away. And for all the businesses that government has successfully shut down at this point, and it is really, that is the tragedy. Cause there's some businesses that they just frankly really can't reopen. And part of that is the economic of you know, the economics of the shutdown and the fear and businesses on thin margins. If, if even one fifth of your customer base is afraid to come and eat at your restaurant, you're definitely going to have to pare down staff. You might not be able to cover rent. Your business might not work if it's not operating that full capacity and you're just shit out of luck. So freedom rules as in, yeah, the businesses and the people, their customers are deciding they can't actually pull this shutdown off. They cannot actually enforce it at this point. So they want you to believe that there's this fear. You know, going back to the AP story about North Korea, across the Atlantic, the pandemic claimed new victims as the confirmed U.S. death toll approached 100,000, the highest by far in the world. 
and nations from Mexico to Chile to Brazil struggled with surging cases and overwhelmed hospitals. We know the overwhelmed hospitals things is, is a myth. Like that has been totally debunked. But back to the Lou Rockwell story, back, back to the meta analysis of all of this. <clears throat> so this guy at the beach, right, saying, you know, we're going to see, a, he believes there's going to be a rise in deaths. But does he really believe that? Does he believe that there's any meaningful risk to himself that outweighs the benefit of him going back to you know, normalcy of being able to at least go drink a beer in public? So he was breaking the lockdown or at least infuriating lockdown fanatics while simultaneously genuflecting to one of the core commandments of the lockdown ideology that individual bad behavior can cause social mayhem and even death. It was a telling snapshot of where I think many people are at right now. Instinctively growing numbers of people are bristling at the lockdown, recognizing that it is deeply harmful to work life, social life and liberty itself. But they know you aren't meant to be to hold this view far less act on it. So they make a performance of fealty to the lockdown strictures. Speaking of which, jumping ahead here, studyfinds.org. And this is one place where I'm like, well, study finds. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give them some credit for this one because this is fun. And I think this is a real, I, I, I judged this one for myself. Battling the COVID-15. Half of Americans fear they'll never get their pre-coronavirus body back. Yes, and we've got the OMG. Scroll up, CJ. I love I love this little infographic here. What do we have? We have feet on a scale where instead of numbers it says OMG. And then pistachios. What's wrong? Why they gotta put pistachios in the picture? Pistachios are, are so healthy. And then they've got it looks like little Vienna sausages with a squirt of ketchup across. And then chips spilled, and then I, it looks like a beer. It really could be any frothy drink, but it looks like a beer. New survey on weight gain during the coronavirus outbreak reveals that the average adult has put on five pounds since beginning quarantine. Nearly two-thirds of Americans feel they've been eating more unhealthy foods compared to just a few months ago. Now, I want to make it clear to my audience here, I'm including myself. As the butt of this joke, as part of the target here, my personal original coronaphobia lockdown story includes me giving myself a piriformis injury from sitting too much on a hard bench at awkward angles like this, trying to slouch down to get in frame for interviews because I was doing so many interviews as, as a candidate at that point. And, uh, I did, I did get a little soft. I, I can't lie, but you know, that was, I got my excuse partly was, well, I was, I was really, I was really into my gym routine. All of a sudden couldn't go to gyms. And then, you know, we, we got stuck in Detroit trying to get back to Texas and then Arizona. We did a little tour, got back here. I started working out again. I got a little weight set here at the garden. You know, I found ways, but like I, I get it. And I'm someone who's, I mean, gym, uh, and, extreme high level of fitness maybe not extreme but you know high yeah. highly fit you know i'm definitely I, on the upper end. yeah i eat generally pretty healthy oh. mostly uh mostly vegetarian vegan you know plant-based diet i by the way i'm i'm a i'm a consumer choice vegan which means if someone serves meat or it's leftover meat i'll eat it and i don't have to be a dick about it it's the best way to be a vegan but you'll never see me buy or order meat or or animal products when when i have a, a legitimate option so 
Um, but like I eat healthy. I'm, I'm, if, if I'm not physically active here at the garden, like we were yesterday, we did some great landscaping work. It was a lot of fun, tree trimming, chainsaw stuff. Um, you know, if I don't get a couple hours or a few hours, at least of that every day, I'll go work out. I'll do something. Um, but for the average American, Hey, you're stuck in lockdown. Maybe it's going to take you a little longer. Maybe you're still working off the COVID 15. Um, but this is, this is crazy. I think this is a reliable statistic <clears throat> that we have. The average American has gained five pounds over the course of this lockdown. But now to the next story, sfgate.com. This is where it gets heavy. This is where it gets serious. A third of Americans now show signs of clinical anxiety or depression, Census Bureau finds. Now, see, I, I wouldn't be, <clears throat> so I wouldn't be sharing these stories from these sources if I didn't think they were legitimate, if I thought like they were feeding into the corona narrative, right? If, if these, story like if it's it's from the census well the census bureau is part of the government you know and it is it but what is the government's narrative right now it's be afraid now there's a possible counter narrative like if you want to think of the government as playing trump's 4d chess <laughs> my 4d chess uh then maybe they want you to be so afraid of the lockdowns that now the government needs to come into your home to manage your lockdown life too, right? Because because Americans are getting fat and Americans are getting depressed and anxious because of the lockdowns. Well, now, now we have to have teams of therapists in, in hazmat suits going around. This is my daddy government voice. I don't know who I'm impersonating. We have to have government agents in hazmats. No, I need to go. We need to have government agents in hazmat suits who are trained clinical therapists and social workers Go around and make sure that you get your government mandated exercise and you're not putting on weight and getting unhealthy and you're not getting depressed. And this is part of how we get to socialize medicine a little bit more in this country, right? A third of Americans are showing signs of clinical anxiety or depression. Census Bureau data shows the most definitive and alarming sign yet of the psychological toll exacted by the coronavirus pandemic. When asked questions normally used to screen patients for mental health problems, 24% showed clinically significant symptoms of major depressive disorder and 30% showed symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder. Now, this is something that, that is really near dear to my heart as someone who, you know, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, not that that's like, aha, look at my credentials, but no, it's something that I care about. Like as someone who's experienced PTSD and uh, depression as a, as a teenager uh, with around my parents' divorce following that, I don't think I should have been, but I was put on Prozac for, for a couple of years. And I really, I mean, no, it was, it was a bad idea and dealt with PTSD, overcome that and then dealt with, uh, other people's PTSD in Homefront Battle Buddies. We did a peer support group for talk therapy for veterans coming home when I was organizing with the Rock Veterans Against the War. And that, like, I, this is something I really want everybody to pay more attention to. Again, nonviolent communication is a great way as a self-therapy and relationship therapy tool of getting deeper needs with your, your in, in touch with your needs and, and your feelings. I highly recommend everybody look up nonviolent communication, become familiar with it if you're not, but also just to be looking out for each other right now. Know, you know, the suicide hotline numbers. If it's someone in the military, by the way, GI rights hotline.org, you can still get out of the military right now. Coronavirus is providing some better avenues for getting out of the military, for claiming 
all, all sorts of different things, ways you can use this to your advantage. So be paying attention, be aware of this. And, and I point this out because when, when it's like, this is a wave when it's, when it's this big, you know, we, we have to look at this and go, yeah, we got to be paying attention. There is a wave of mental health issues coming to this country. We have to be paying attention to this for, at, at, the, at the propaganda level, the political level, uh, the national dialogue, and just the, the neighboring community level where we're looking out for people around us. And it starts now. It starts right now. I want everybody who's watching this to think about people in your life who maybe aren't as as as, as woke as as we are here with Adam versus the man who don't have the benefit of their, this perspective. If they're on lockdown, if they're dealing with depression, anxiety, anything from isolation, it's something that's really you don't have to have any training to reach out to someone. And say, hey, feeling lonely? You want to hang out? You want to like let's 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 Skype chat? You don't want to come out like and, and just breaking the lockdown. For yourself on a one-on-one level saying, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to my neighbors, not from six feet from their door. I'm going to go sit in their living room and I'm going to have a coffee with them or a tea and I'm going to share a meal, like go out and connect with people in your communities right now. So back to the bigger point here from this, his expression of devotion to the gospel of lockdown. This is back to uh, Lou Rockwell was not enough to save him from the Twitter mob. His sin was too grave. His joy over that cold beer, too iniquitous. No amount of bowing to the lockdown narrative could wash away such moral error. Like the heretics of old who made a desperate last-minute conversion to godliness, but still got burnt by the yapping mob anyway, our Brighton friend failed to convince the self-elected policers of lockdown fidelity that he is one of them. Saying one thing and doing another, expressing support for the lockdown while breaking it on the slice, probably widespread in lockdown Britain. In a sense, it's healthy hypocrisy, speaking to some people's skepticism of the lockdown and their willingness to take risks to do things that are essential to the human soul, have a beer on Brighton Beach, visit family members, pop into the office, swing by a sexual partner's house. These are good things, as nutritious to the individual as food and exercise are. Despite what the lockdown fanatics might think, man cannot live by Morrison's microwave meals and dog walking alone. We need connection, engagement, touch, art, religion. It is testament to the nanny state's successful reduction of human beings to units of health that so many in official and think is it acceptable to deprive us of social, spiritual, and sexual interaction for so long. And people are taking it. To the next story from LouRockwell.com, three ways the coronavirus may significantly accelerate political decentralization. From my friend, Tho Bishop at Mises.org, the coronavirus pandemic and resulting government responses created one of the greatest disruptions to daily life in modern American history. With so much of the country now focused on reopening, pundits and policymakers have focused their attention on what the new normal of a post-COVID America looks like. Although much of the attention has been focused on the future of massive public gatherings and changes to American work environments, the most significant change to American society societies may be faith in our governing structures. 
The policy response to the coronavirus has already led to dramatic changes in policy in the positive. Both federal agencies and state governments have waived or altered many traditional regulatory requirements to bypass disastrous delays in medical testing and better facilitate delivery of services. In the negative, which at the present currently outweighs this, the Federal Reserve has massively escalated its interventionist policies, highlighting how radical these institutions have truly become. State governments have taken the lead in public policy, point one. So we see that inherent localization, for better or for worse, governments becoming functional more at the local level. And in a lot of times, the more local it's gotten, the better it's gotten, because we've brought you, again, so many stories of local sheriffs, county sheriffs saying, mm, no, no, right now. This is a COVID-free zone, sanctuary city from coronaphobia, emergency powers. No. So next in the article, the state battle over a federal bailout. State budgets are going to face major shortages as the devastating impact of lockdowns limit tax revenue. Although no state will be spared from the economic fallout, this revenue shock will be particularly devastating for those already on particularly unsound economic footing. This could easily erupt in the sort of state-on-state legislative battle we haven't seen play out in Washington in a long time. This is, of course, as they fight over the coronavirus emergency funds. Shared experience and national unity. Lastly, one of the aspects of the coronavirus that has driven a lot of the radical differences in narrative and policy between states has been the difference in its severity around the country in past national tragedies. There's usually been a trend toward national unity as the event created a common experience among all Americans. Although New Yorkers dealing with the aftermath of 9-11 or Gulf Coast residents during Hurricane Katrina experienced these events in a more personal and intimate way, everyone witnessed them on television and with a similar appreciation for their significance. Scrolling down, considering that a major question for political fallout going forward will be the degree to which the economic damage inflicted on this country was justified by the threat of the virus. The differences in experience make it unlikely that the coronavirus will build anything resembling a national consensus. Exactly. This is a different experience. And not rallying nationally, but rallying globally against governments is going to be the bigger trend of the shared experience. The lasting impact of the virus going forward alongside devastating economic consequences that we have yet to truly face could be a deepening regional, cultural, and political polarization that has been building in recent years. These are also precisely the sort of differences that are only escalated by centralized political power and that will only be fueled by the upcoming theater (laughs) of the 2020 presidential election. Although national tragedies tend to bring people together, bring a country together, excuse me, it seems clear that the coronavirus will leave America as divided as it has been in modern history. And this is why localization is the cure for polarization. Everybody gets what they want with government localized down to the community level. If anything, the coronavirus pandemic has highlighted the need for customized responses based on different communities, not based on these one-size-fits-all solutions that we've gotten from the federal government, from state governments, governments all around the world screwing this up. And this is why it is so important for we, the people, to end the shutdowns, 
to end the lockdown. We turn government just as it's already turning itself into a laughable, ridiculous thing. The Karens of the world who just say, yes, we have to have this lockdown. Yeah, everybody's got to wear masks and I'm not going to go into a store. All right. All right. We will appease the Karens with this, whatever, not acknowledgement. And we will go on with our lives. We will demand our freedom by our actions. I have to say it is beautiful to see so many Americans and people around the world who never would have been for deliberately embracing civil disobedience activism, saying we're not going to put up with this crap anymore. Now that it's reached this level, sorry. And you know what's so exciting about this? Not only does this lead, does this lead to the decentralization that though Bishop expresses in his article from Mises.com, but Brandon O'Neill from SpikedOnline.com, both via LewRockwell.com, that it is the American people who are going to lead us out of this shutdown. The people of the world who are going to rise up against governments and say, nope, not anymore. You went too far. We don't have to put up with this crap any longer. So do everything you can to resist martial law, spread this awareness, share these ideas, and make sure people know that all is not lost. Humanity continues to dance forward. And today is May 27, 2020. You're listening to Adam versus the Man, brought to you again on StreamYard. Thanks to our producer, CJ Abernathy, coming to us all the way from Meth Dakota. How you doing there, CJ? Um, sir, uh, uh, can you hear me? <laughs> can you hear me, Your sir? Your microphone, there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, you have to get a better internet connection, sir. You are about as pixelated as a pixie walking out with a pixie stick. Um, your audio is great, though, for, for, I can obviously boost that for the listener's audience, but, uh, your, your stream is like maybe at best like 360p. Still totally pixelated? Let me see. I got, Not I got, com- I mean, there. you're glitchy. You're glitchy. But the stream, it's funny because on my screen, the stream yard is like perfect HD because it's just showing what comes in on mine. Like I'm seeing this picture on the phone with me glitchy and you clear, but on mine, I am, I am like. I mean, the stream. Perfect. It looked on on my end. You look. You. I mean, on the phone, you look clear, uh, a little glitchy. Um, but uh, yeah, it's gonna be very interesting to see. Is the smaller the screen, the better the picture is gonna look as you broadcast smaller. Um, and, yeah, and then it might be in those camera settings too. We can check that as well. Um, and then. Uh, what we can do from there, like I said, is, uh, we can eliminate it being the internet from your camera settings, but you're, you're clear on the smaller screen. If I put you on my big screen TV, you're gonna be, uh. Oh, okay. So it's not bad. It's good. Well, hey, so this, this raises the bigger question for the audience if anybody wants to help us out with this, because we are living super rural out here. We're down three miles of private dirt road. And Speed Connect, when I, last time I looked a couple of years ago, Speed Connect was the only option. And they're just a, they're a shitty company. They, they, at least they were. I don't know. Maybe they were, maybe they've changed their policies or reorganized or something. But two or two, two to three years, two to four years ago, that whole time we were dealing with Speed Connect, 
they were a nightmare. And it's like they, they were just taking advantage of old people who didn't know better and, you know, promising them better service than they were delivering as microwave. That was our that was our only option out here. But right now, uh, so what we switched to was just using using uh, Verizon. And I, I have a hotspot. Oh, um, can you can you get that plugged in there, Jim, please? So so I was using the the Verizon hotspot right now. There's something like, and this is just another like glitch in the matrix due to coronaphobia, right? Verizon, my 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 Verizon app doesn't work, doesn't start, nothing, and um, you know I I, I can't uh, you know get this thing to work. So it's it's been on and off. We're gonna go with. Um, so I mean, the best we can have, the best we have is my phone right now, and it should be like whatever um, you were using earlier, sir. That was clear, but it was just not. This is the good same thing. The yeah, this is the same. So this is Streamyard. It might be Streamyard that's like it's, reducing. It's certainly. The, uh, I posed well, a uh, question, and I guess it doesn't make sense now because CJ's clear. But I was saying maybe NASA's hogging all the bandwidth for their flight. <laughs> well, it could be part of it. So. The next level up that we saw for internet was, uh, to put in a hard line and pay the, pay the, who is it? It was like Altel or Nextel. Uh, <laughs> and pay them to run, run a cable all the way out here. And I'd rather not. I mean, I don't want to be on grid in any way. I don't want, because part of it is the vulnerability with that. I mean, you can always have backups, but that someone could just cut the cable and then boom, your internet's gone. I wouldn't want to depend on that. So, we, I mean, we'd always have, you know, the cell phone data connection as a backup. But the next level up from that was something like satellite Internet. And, you know, you're going to have to pay a few thousand dollars up front for the equipment. Whereas with Speed Connect, the microwave, you get like a, you know, $50 satellite dish thing. It's, a, it's not a satellite. It's a microwave dish. It's a microwave receiver that points towards Mount Williams over over there to the, to our east. And that would have been the next option, but didn't get that one. At least it sounds clear. I mean, that's that's more important. As a, a good thing, streamyards pri- prioritizing the audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. CJ, thoughts thoughts on uh, next level internet for you? I mean, I'm open to whatever. You know, um, if you, especially if you want to donate and, and upgrade our internet. You know, now that now that we're doing the show uh, consistently, uh, I'm very happy with the production format in general, and and you know what we're doing with the content. So, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to have CJ making sure that, you know, this is worth my, you know, full time and effort and focus on this production to make sure that, you know, the content is top notch every day. And, um, yeah, it's, if, if people, as, as, as we get more money, you know, it's just whatever comes in, uh, patreon.com. By the way, CJ, you got me on echo again. Um, do you hear that? Be. It shouldn't be. I'm hearing, I'm hearing myself on echo on this end. That's weird. Um, it just started like thirty seconds ago. Uh, my, my, I mean, my the screen is muted. Uh, I mean, that's the only thing on this that I have to do for you to not hear echo. Um, All right, but uh, no, I'm still hearing that echo. Well, you I'll, just I'll, turn this on. Maybe take yourself off screen. Oh well, anyway. yeah, we'll see if that goes. Yeah. All right. So now, yes, the echo is gone. So it was something with you being on screen. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Comment Jim Freedom is in the studio. How's it going, everybody? Thanks for sticking with us. We've got some troopers as some, uh, you know, people are just 
continuing the conversation. A few people mentioned, yeah, they see some lag, but they love you and what you're saying. They're in the conversation. Okay, there's a little video lag. The audio is obviously clear as well. Uh, one I wanted to start with on Facebook, Renee Meyer. Big business have big businesses have deep cash reserves, but small businesses do not have that option. The deep state is trying to crash the economy, but they are at the same time being exposed. Many yep. people are waking up. Yep, that's a huge part of our story of this is that it is a consolidation of excuse me of economic power, and the way they're doing that is by just crashing the market, and then anybody who has cash on hand gets to buy up everything. And the same thing with, uh, you know, so many uh, crashes in the past that are that are engineered, like uh, you know, where where you you hear these, you know, comments where, uh, yeah, we we engineered this way so we buy back everything else for pennies on the dollar, yeah. and, and this goes back to that that Jefferson quote that uh, you know that we've been talking about waking up homeless on the continent our forefathers conquered cj you just had a comment on screen can you get that back all right renee meyer big oh that that's the comment okay you're pulling it up from facebook and we're pulling it up into Streamyard. awesome that's cool outstanding okay so youtube you can super chat and i'll pull the phone up and put you on screen if you facebook comment CJ, can we pull up YouTube comments on Probably. on streaming or also if we're connected? Yeah, well then for comments, let's focus on YouTube. I, I think I don't know, we I guess we well let's do both because we want people to comment on Facebook if you're if that's your preferred means of watching. Um and eventually really what we want to do is be streaming from Adam versus the man dot com and, and get back to that off our own server and then from there uh, people just go adamversustheman.com at 10 o'clock every day and go, all right, well, there it is. And they can see the countdown and, and it's our own stream. We don't have to worry about any of these other things. And then, so by the way, we, Jim, do you want to give us an update on your Patreon levels? Oh yeah. I've just been, uh, switching those around. So we're definitely going to be all this week. We're switching all the tiers around for anybody that gets a Patreon membership for even a dollar where you're going to be able to access behind the scenes footage and just secret content that I've been taking of you around the <clears> property. <throat> so that's always cool and unique for $5 chats. We're introducing a telegram chat that people can join. So when you join the telegram chat, you'll be separated. And when you comment on the telegram chat during the show, I'll be make sure to read it just like a super chat. Yeah. So this is really cool. So we're going to have a, a patrons only telegram group where um, I'm going to be in it. And like you, you can, you guys can just talk to me. Like I love, but this is how we've organized all of our volunteer campaigns uh, or campaign volunteer teams. And we've had, you know, the coalitions group, we've had team and the fed. We have, we have a, we've had a couple of fun, like rant. There's, there's a group called jokes at the government's expense. <laughs> so, uh, excuse me, but we're going to have one really focused on Adam versus the man patrons and making sure that everybody who's a financial supporter of the show has a direct connection with your host, yours truly. And so I'm going to be like, you, I'll, I'll be monitoring this yeah. the way I monitor all my other text message and, and telegram conversations. So I'll just, I'll just be there where, where, whenever you guys, and, and then during the show, Jim will be watching that. And so we have patrons and you can, you can tell Jim, you just talk to Jim directly. You can send him links on his phone that he can pull up. And this is a big part of the show that I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back to 
is, is having a, you know, an engaged audience that is sending us news articles during the show going, Adam, have you seen this? Are you covering this? Are you like, I want you guys who, um, again, most people who get the show watch it through clips or, or not live. And that's great. But for those of you who are watching live to really be involved in the creation of what this product is helping me make sure that this is a, a complete conversation and that I'm, that I'm, that I'm right. I, I want to be right. I want to be right about everything. Help me be right about everything. If I'm wrong, tell me I am not, I, I don't want to be blindly right about any, everything or falsely think that I'm right about everything. I want to actually be right about everything, which means you have to be open to correcting yourself. You have to be open to being proven wrong. And I am. And I love it when the audience does that. It hasn't happened much recently. No. We, we've had a few people saying, Hey, are you going to, are you going to cover this? I want more of that, you know, cause I'm just one dude prepping for the show. You know, I, I need, I saw there's stories I'm going to miss. There, there are going to be times when, you know, I don't get uh, everything I need to cover. And, and speaking of which, I have a few more coronaphobia stories. And today, later on in the show, and I, I guess, wow, we're already 45 minutes in. Uh, that was a good opening story with the, the, the whole coronaphobia overview. But now we have, you know, we have a handful more Corona stories to cover. We have, believe it or not, there are still things in the world happening that have nothing to do with coronavirus. I know that might be hard to believe, but it's true. I want to make sure you get that perspective as well. And we, uh, we got a, a special video queued up today. Uh, I'm really excited about this. This is my speech from the first church of cannabis talking about my, uh, beating four felonies and a misdemeanor. We'll probably do this in about 20 minutes. Uh, we're going to take some more comments and then get to some more headlines. So, uh, I love that video, by the way, the, the speech. I can't wait for it. I have, yeah, yeah, I haven't watched it since I gave the speech yeah. and it was live streamed on the church of, anyway, I'm looking, I'll come back when I introduce it. Go ahead, there Jim. You go. Perfect. Okay. So I just wanted to add also, if you're going to be commenting and being interactive with the show and you want to challenge something that Adam is saying, please do your best to provide a link that I can click on and check the really, you know what I mean? It's hard to just say, well, so-and-so says you're wrong. You know what I mean? Well, no, no, that's okay. People in the comments say, you know, we'll check it. Jim, Jim has his laptop pulled up here. So Jim, if someone in the, I want to give, I want to make it easier for commenters and harder for Jim. Jim doesn't have enough to do during the show. He's sitting here smoking pot the whole time. I have to wait till we're done to smoke pot. It's not fair. No. So Jim, if a commenter says, so-and-so says this, I want you to check it. Okay. You you Google that shit, you know, like do 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 a quick Google search. Did some did, did so and so actually say this? Yeah, right. And if not, you can ignore their comment. They're yeah. just trolling. But if it's righteous, then you know, hand me your laptop. You go, Adam. Here's the story that you missed that a commenter wants you to see. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Perfect. So, okay. any other hot comments before we get um, back to the headlines? Corrine Bowman. I feel like we're living in a Twilight Zone Truman show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. Um. You know, and, and until my opening monologue today, I hadn't really considered the historical comparisons because, you know, we're being presented this as a new phenomena, right? And it's, it's not, like, in any way. Like, the only thing that's new about it is how, and it's not even new, but in, except in its size, is how big and bad government is successfully ripping us off with this as the excuse. There, there are historical precedents for all of this. But I think that the, the, we shouldn't be looking at, I mean, it's, it's one thing to like compare this to the 1918 Spanish flu, which was more deadly, you know, in, in so many ways. 
And, uh, and, and at that time it was World War One. The government wanted to bury the story, wanted to hide it as much as possible because they didn't want, uh, it to affect the war effort when troops were the ones who were really responsible for spreading it and, and suffering the most with it. And that's not the best comparison because you look at that and you go, yeah, but this virus is in the seasonal flu category of deadliness. Like, not 1918 Spanish flu, like not Ebola. Uh, I mean, not even H1N1 or the, or, or the swine flu of, of these recent comparable scares that, uh, you know, could have been used. Really what we, I mean, what we should be comparing this to is like the stock market crash, you know, Black Friday. Yeah. Like, cause that was, that was the goal. So crap to like, how, what did they, back then, what did they do? They manipulated the monetary system in order to crash the market so they could buy stocks and companies back at pennies on the dollar. When they talked about, I mean, even the, the coronavirus crisis, same thing. It's what, is this a different, that's the difference is that they're using, I think it might be that they couldn't do it with the dollar. They couldn't just, like in 1918, you know, uh, 1928, the pervasiveness of understanding of how the Federal Reserve System works was a lot lower, right? Yeah. I mean, now, if the Fed, if they tried to do what they did then to crash the stock market, we'd see it coming. It'd be too obvious. Coronavirus, uh, oh, you're doing that to steal from all of us? Oh, shit, we didn't see that coming, at least not now until it's too late. Speaking of which, one of the stories I'm getting to today, NBCnews.com. Justice uh, Justice Department drops insider trading investigations of three senators. The Republican and Democratic senators were being investigated after they sold off stocks following early briefings of the coronavirus. You remember this? Yeah. Well, this is a nice little follow-up story. The Justice Department has closed insider trading investigations into three senators who sold off stocks following early briefings on the coronavirus, AIDS told NBC News. I know. Let's keep reading and see what their excuse was. A spokesman for Senator Kelly Loeffler, uh, Republican Georgia, confirmed that she had been informed that the Justice Department had dropped an inquiry into her trades and called the allegations politically motivated. Today's clear exoneration by the Department of Justice affirms what the senator has said all along. She did nothing wrong. This was a politically motivated attack, shamelessly promoted by the fake news media and her political opponents. Yeah. Mm, okay, so what's what's the agency's excuse? So the other one was James Inhofe, Republican Oklahoma, also being dropped. The one against Senator Richard Burr is continuing. Burr's office didn't respond. The other ones are saying that they were there. Ah, oh, yes, Inhofe was exonerated by this. So let's see. Um, I guess we don't actually have an excuse from the Department of Justice here. They're just letting this go. I guess, I guess that's why this is being reported. They were exonerated. Surprise, surprise. Um, back to APnews.com. American virus deaths at a hundred thousand. What does a number mean? Well, there was that guy who was skydiving and his parachute didn't open. And right before he hit the ground, he died from coronavirus. And then there's Washington state where they counted a gunshot victim as a coronavirus death because he was positive for coronavirus, even though it had nothing to do with his death. So what's in the number? Let's see. How is the AP trying to scare us today? 
The fraught, frighted number of this particular American moment is a round one, brimming with zeros, 100,000. A hundred thousands. A thousand hundreds. Five thousand score. More than eight thousand dozen, all dead. And that's why this kind of fear-mongering works. This is the week when America's official coronavirus death toll reaches six digits. 100,000 lives wiped out by a disease unknown to science a half a year ago. Which science? Believe the science, as Joe Biden would say. Science over fiction. No, believe the secret science, because the CDC, according to Trump, has to conduct their deliberations in secret. Believe the science. The science is settled. Leeches are good as a way of drawing blood. And your artificial teeth should be made from wood. The science is settled. And as the unwanted figure arrives, nearly a third of the global death toll in the first five months of a very trying year, what can looking at that one and those five zeros tell us? What does any number deployed in momentous times to convey scope and seriousness and thought really mean? As Jeffrey Jackson, history professor at Rhodes College in Tennessee, who teaches about politics of natural disaster, says, we all want to measure these experiences because they're so shocking, so overwhelming, that we want to bring some sense of knowability to the unknown. This is not new. In the mid-1800s, a new level of numerical precision was emerging in Western society around the same time the United States fought the Civil War, facing such massive death and challenges counting the dead. Americans started to realize that numbers and statistics represented more than knowledge. They contained power. According to historian Drew Gilpin Faust, who wrote, their provision of seemingly objective knowledge promised a foundation for control and a reality, escaping the bounds of the imaginable. Numbers represented a means of imposing sense and order on what Walt Whitman tellingly depicted as the countless graves of the infinite dead. Today's Americans have precedence for visualizing and understanding 100,000 people dead and alive. They have numerous comparisons at hand. For example, Beaver Stadium, seen often on TV as the home to Penn State football and one of the country's largest sports venues holds 106,572 people when full. The 2018 estimated population of South Bend, Indiana was 101,860. About 100,000 people visit the Statue of Liberty every 10 days. Is my Karen voice clear enough? coming through in all of this. CJ, pull up the map in this story. Look at this. Look at this. We have all of these. Look, 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 I got to go over here. All of these purple spots. Oh, my gosh. If it's if it's a data set that is this clear that results in, in this kind of uh, graphic, oh, my gosh, it, it, it must be real. It must be serious. But no, this is not. What's in a number? An excuse. All of this. All of this fear-mongering, all, all, all these, we've seen a flood of graphics that actually, this one is, is relatively benign. I mean, how do they suck you in with this one? Oh, it's purple. The deaths are measured in purple pixels. No, because in most, like we see from the Daily Mail every day, giant red letters and numbers and yellow, you know, glow on these numbers in the field, these fear graphics, all this fear porn, like, look at this, all this, and, and, 
What is it? What's in the number? What's in the number? Really? You want, you want some perspective on this? Keep in mind, 7,500 Americans die every day. There are 22 veterans, at least, and I think this number is highly underreported, still committing suicide in America every day. There are thousands of American children going to bed hungry because we, the American people, are fooled by crap like this. Like this, this kind of crap. Like this is, this is, we, we, we get ourselves all worked up into a tizzy. We get ourselves to the point where we're, we're supporting the lockdowns. We're at least giving credence to the, the gospel of the virus and saying, oh yes, we, we have to, we really, we have to. Because look at these graphics. You have to pay. What about all the other graphics of death and destruction around the world caused by government? What about two and a half million Americans in, in U.S. prisons? For mostly victimless crimes. Well, they're the victims of the drug war. Just have some freaking perspective here, people. More Americans dying from chronic diseases than anything else right now. Heart attacks, obesity-related stuff, smoking. You want to put that on a chart? This, this, this with, with, with coronavirus, it, it drops off the screen entirely into insignificance. What it, what's in a number? A lack of perspective. It leads you to misdirect your attention and give government more power. That's what this number means. One more Corona story I have to cover. I've seen this popping up in the news. Breitbart.com. Chinese netizens claim Americans are eating coronavirus dead. A page on WeChat, a Chinese social media site, claimed American officials have been processing dead bodies of Chinese coronavirus victims into burgers and feeding them to the masses. The South China Morning Post revealed on Tuesday claiming Beijing had shut the page down. Prior to its deletion hour of the page, the Scholar Forum for Ultimate Truth had attracted 1.7 million page views, according to the Post. China has built an extensive online censorship apparatus that has successfully shut down a wide variety of factual information detrimental to the regime, or simple, simply commentary by dissidents of, on the failures of the Communist Party, yet when faced with outrageous fake information that disparages America or other foreign nations, China's censors suddenly struggle to keep up with the volume of material. The Post noted that one of the most outrageous posts on the Scholar Forum for Ultimate Truth page, a pro-communist conspiracy WeChat account, accused Americans of eating those killed by the Chinese coronavirus pandemic. This just reminds me. I get my news from Comedy Central and my comedy from Fox News. <laughs> yeah, this is this is what uh, the news is like in China. Tax from Cron.com. Uh, Taxpayers paid to develop Remdesivir, but will have no say when Gilead sets price. Isn't Gilead what? Isn't that what they called their? Their Christian nation in um, the Handmaid's Tale in Gilead. Am I? Am I? You look this up, please. Oh, yeah, the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Um, I, there's some, what, what's what's the meaning of the word Gilead? Like I know it's a name. It's a it's a biblical name, right? But go back to to to, to the, the the Handmaid's Tale because it's this really crazy dystopian science fiction. It's a great series. I I downloaded. And by the way, don't pay for for content. Um, certainly not from Hollywood. And, and there's, there's some significant, 
Republic. Yeah, that's what I said. They call it the Republic of Gilead. And thank you. In, uh, in a handmaid's tale. So, uh, when I, when I hear like this drug, there's a drug maker. And by the way, so the, the Republic of Gilead is basically the survivor entity of the United States, um, which is now like just the Eastern two thirds of the country. And most of it is uh, just overcome with nuclear waste or pollution of some kind. And like the Western states have broken off and Canada is where Americans are fleeing from the Republic of Gilead. And it's like super controlled theocratic country and, you know, just horrendous human rights violations. So when I'm like, every time I hear Gilead in the news, I think of this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is, it's very appropriate for your company to be named Gilead. The drug that buoyed expectations for a coronavirus treatment and drew international attention for Gilead Sciences remdesivir started as a reject and also ran in the search for an antiviral, for antiviral drugs. Its path to relevance did not begin until, begin until Robert Jordan cleared it. A Gilead scientist at the time, Jordan convinced the company seven years ago to let him assemble a library of a thousand cast off molecules and search for medicines to treat emerging viruses. Many viral illnesses threaten human health, but do not attract commercial interest because they lack potential for huge drug sales. So, yeah, I mean, the bottom line of the story. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, to make progress, Gilead needed help from U.S. taxpayers. Oh, of course. Yeah, they couldn't find a peaceful way to get money. They had to steal it from the American people through government. Oh, poor Gilead. Lots of help. Three federal health agencies were deeply involved in Remdesivir's development every step of the way, providing tens of millions of dollars of government research support. Now the big government role has set up a political showdown over pricing and access. Despite the heavy subsidies, federal agencies have not asserted patent rights to Gilead's drug, potentially a blockbuster therapy worth billions of dollars. That means Gilead will have few constraints other than political pressure when it sets a price in coming weeks. Critics are urging the Trump administration to take a more aggressive approach. Now, this is a sort of one of the, one of these like dangerous compromises where you go, well, as long as we've got government, as long as we've got corporate medicine and, and development of drugs, why not, you know, why not have the taxpayers subsidize the development of the drug that's going to be made available to us? That's going to help us out. Well, first of all, you're, you're socializing losses as in the cost and privatizing the profits because the company is going to get to benefit from this entirely. There's going to be no, you know, government benefits because taxpayers are healthier and can make more money and get more money. No, that's not how this works. But why would they let this happen? You know, why would they let it go to this confusing mess? Well, oh, oh, we have socialized losses and privatized benefits. Well, let's just socialize everything. It'll be a lot easier. You just socialize the profits, socialize the losses, and go to full-on socialized medicine. That's going to be the push for this. Well, oh my gosh, what, what, what? Like it's just it's it's like this finger Chinese finger trap of statism. What's the easiest play for government at this point? Well, we can convince the taxpayers to just let us buy up Gilead, and then who knows? Maybe Gilead takes over the U.S. government, like the military-industrial complex, like Monsanto, and then we end up with. The Republic of Gilead. Ah, all right. 
before we play this video, you know what? We're going to save. So I'm going to, we're going to go over just real quick all the other news stories we were going to cover today. Maybe we'll come back to these. There, there's a, a Trump Twitter clash. Uh, there is an update on the George Floyd story. We have a video of him being, being uh, taken out of his car without resisting arrest, handcuffed and manhandled on the sidewalk before he was murdered by the cop who nailed on his neck. We have uh, some protests happening there. Um, we have Twi Google deleting millions of negative TikTok reviews. And uh, so, by the way, um, Comet Jim Freedom here has a badass drone. That was what he got uh, as his birthday present for himself, uh, six months away from his, his half-birthday present <laughs> to himself. And so from the DailyBeast.com, that was going to be a fun story. Fearful Prince Harry and Meghan Markle report multiple drone flybys to LAPD will now pay for own security. And I love this. This is so maybe finally <clears throat> we'll see the shift in uh, the technology that we know has to happen around these drones, right? Because, you know, it, it's, it's this, like, I, there, there's been a lot of fear-mongering that, like, oh, government's going to get these drones. They're going to be able to spy on everybody. I'm like, yeah, um, but, but technology's going to catch up with that. And right now, we're at this point where government doesn't have the ability to stop us from spying on them, right? So I think, you know, in the future, like right now we have, we have you know, cell phone cameras and drones. And like if government gets to the point where they're doing, like governments know right now there's a limit to the shady shit they can get away with because drones are out there. So, Jim, thank you for buying one. Like it's a good it's a, it's a public service. Just there being more drones out there. Like that's that's a good thing. That, that, so, so cops know. Like they can't have massive form. They can't start rounding people up. Right, right. Like they can't just start rounding people up in in major cities without swarms of civilian drones going. Hey guys, look at what's happening here. This is what your police are up to. They can be live streaming. Right, and and yeah, from his drone, Jim has live streaming capabilities, which is really cool to to, to be able to cover events, you know, things like that. But now we have the royal couple. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle uh, will pay for their own security. Well, what are they going to do? <clears throat> you have people with money now being harassed with drones. Paparazzi, right? So you're going to have drone privacy bubbles. That's what's going to happen. Now, for for Jim's... Now, Jim has a cave. How high does your drone go? Now, it's only legally allowed to go to 400 feet. Yeah, legally. And you would never take it above 400 feet. But you can go with this drone to 4,000. Is that right? Uh, no. 2,000. Um, it's a lot. 800 meters, whatever. How many? 800 meters times three. So it's about 2,000 2000 feet. Okay. Yeah, that's good. What does it say? I'm telling this on the way Oh. He was confused because we were talking. Try again. Try again, Google. Okay. What was the math? <laughs> you said 800 meters. 800. How many feet is 800 meters? That would be 2,624.67 feet. How many? 2,600. 2,600. Okay, so it's one, yeah. So 2,000. So a meter is a little more than three feet. So. so go about a half a mile. And you can still spy down. You can still zoom in with a camera at that height hovering. We we should try this today, but we'll do it directly over Gardenia. We won't we won't go into anybody else's airspace. So we're in sovereign airspace. We can go as high as we want yeah. on this ten acre plot. 
because we are legally sovereign and independent from the United States. As of right now, every resident of Gardenia is a dual citizen in Gardenia and the United States of America, just so we're clear on that. So in independent airspace, we, you know, the FAA regulations are, I mean, they might try to enforce them in violation of international law, but uh, really we can fly as high as we want because we have the sovereign airspace here. So we'll see, like, but can you spy down? You know, that's really interesting. And this is where we're having, this is, this is setting up <clears throat> the clash of technologies over drones as spying devices versus defending against them with the, uh, with, with some form of, uh, blocker jammer signal, right? So like if you're, if you're security for Harry and Megan, are, are you going to get shotguns? Are you going to, like, if you're a Harry and Megan, are you going to just like constantly have someone like walking around you with a shotgun? You know, pointing it up at the sky, like, ah, okay, there's a drone coming. Uh, I'm ready for him. You know, like a bird hunter, like, you know, a duck hunter walking around through the weeds. Like, it's about, yeah, no, like, no, like, <laughs> just the, obviously the liability with that makes it, it impractical, uh, unrealistic, if not uh, just highly impractical. So if they have money, what are they going to do? They're going to buy jammer system, right? They're going to buy a laser defense system. They're going to be, they're going to have, you know, and, and maybe this, maybe it's, they got to have a dude with a backpack with a device following them around so that whenever they want their private, their drone privacy bubble, they're like, you're going to have like, right. Right. I mean, this this seems like with technology that we have today, maybe, maybe it's got to stick up over his head. You know, there's gotta be like a bubble with a scanner, like, yeah, the the point lasers and and, and shoot your drones out of the sky. And then you're going to have a legal battle. Like what is, how big is your, are you allowed to shoot down a drone with a laser? Cause it's a, a half a mile over your head. At what point, like, do you do, do, and this is, this is, this is going to set up a really fun legal battle over drones. So if we have this, we were first, we have the technology battle, then we have the legal battle, then we have the social standard of privacy battle. And I, they're going to be called the, uh, the, what we, what's the, there's, there's a name like, um, Brangelina. What is it for Harry and Megan? Is there is there one? I don't know. Hagen. 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 The Hagen device. <laughs> like the Hagen device. So you'd be able to have a backpack on, like, and maybe there's an acceptable limit. Like, if you're maybe you can't wear one in public. But here's what this is going that that is very positive. And I think about this like for our property here, right? I will be able to within a few years buy a drone defense bubble device, and as long as it's got electricity going to it, you plug it in. And it create whatever you set the parameters. You say, look, I'm, I'm here. Any, any drone that gets within here, shoot it out in the sky with a laser and they'll be able to tell, you know, I'll be able to set it so that it doesn't shoot anything out that's hovering off of my property or, you know, whatever I want to declare international open airspace above my property, right. right above Gardenia. So, all right, we have a super chat. First super chat. Uh, we want to get that back on screen there, CJ. J.E. Roast for $4.20. Still doing bong rips for Super Chats. Question mark. LMAO. Well, why not? Look at this. We got, since it's still here from yesterday's show, we've got our camp. Bong, two days. Oh, yeah, yesterday we had a real show. Try to forget that one for a second. <laughs> difficulties. So we have, we have our beautiful camp kitchen or uh, field bong here, a silicone thing, matching orange lighter for $4.20. We will interrupt the show for a long run.
Oh, that thing is cleared and clean and hitting very nicely now. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful resin. I like it's, it's got a, it's got a solid deep resonance to the bubbles in that bomb. Like I, I like a bong that gives me an auditory experience <laughs> as I'm smoking at the same time. And so th- this is a per- so one other story. And I guess I guess we'll cover this real quick. Get this out of the way. We don't need to come back to this one. From newatlas.com, floating at floating ocean platform harvests wind, solar, and wave energy. CJ, can you pull that picture up real quick for me? It's not much of a diagram, but it is pretty cool. You want to get that full screen? So you've got a floating platform that just floats in the ocean, and I assume this thing is pretty big, so that it's busy. Uh, designed to handle waves up to six meters. That's 19.6 feet in height. It can harvest energy from waves up to two meters high without the platform itself moving much at all. Thanks to a series of floats that move 10 foot push rods up and down in response to wave activity. Each of these can generate up to two, uh, 24 kilowatts in ideal conditions. And there's one at each corner of each floating unit. So there are a couple of things that this, like, so uh, my friend Quinn Aker, uh, at the Garden of Eden in Kennedale, Texas, which was, yes, the obvious inspiration for the naming of our homestead here, the Garden of Freedom. Uh, <clears throat> he was involved in a project where they were getting floating barges like this that would clean up the trash in the ocean and burn that plastic in a way that was environmentally friendly and self-contained, convert it to energy, and then mine, mine Bitcoin. Yeah, you could do that. Like, we're at that level with technology. And it's like, in a sense, I want to start designing things like this. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah. But this is like, how, how much can you do with this technology? Just where you have unclaimed land where there's no law. In inter- I mean, there's the law of the sea. Um, but you can you can go out and harvest the ocean. And there's there's an infinite surface area as far as humanity is concerned for solar panels. Like, you, you want to put solar panels on top of the ocean. You, it would be a long time before you run out of space. It would be a long time before you even affect the ocean. Because now the ocean is a, is a huge, I don't want to say delicate ecosystem. It has elements of it that are delicate. Yeah. If you, if you put over like solar panels covering a reef, you'll, you'll kill off the photosynthesis and effects like, but like before, how much, how big is freaking ocean surface? Like you're not going to run out of space. You're not going to like, you put, you could have tons of these out there. I mean, my only question is, you know, how do you get the, uh, how do you get the units to, um, you know, to, to, to back to the shore? And what they're saying is, Sin Power is pitching this as a renewable power option for island resorts, particularly in the Caribbean, presumably with a sizable cable snake to get the power back on shore. So yeah, there, we have the technology to do buried ocean lines. Like, set something out. It's kind of like a floating rig. It doesn't have to be out that far. And then you can run power to the coast and and power anything. But what I'm even more excited about with this is the possibility of uh, of, of of it supporting seasteading and that like attached. So you make this as a, a not something that's tethered or anchored, but something that is genuinely floating. And the thing is, if you put these little rotors on this, and they're I mean little compared to the size of the whole thing, but it's it's pulling so much power. <clears throat> you could design this thing to float in in at a specific GPS coordinate and stay there. And this is how a lot of like oil rigs work. Even though they go down like you know an oil rig 
that you see like with you know these big flotilla you know you know pontoon rigs and then then you know the thing that goes down and drills that's not holding it in place i mean the ocean would just push that shit like crazy they've got underwater um uh, motors um propellers that that keep those stable in the ocean so you could do that at the same time with a a floating city next to it and if that thing is just powering like powering the city and stabilizing it now you've got the ability to see stead at the next level. This is not new technology. It's just really cool that we're seeing it applied this way. This is something that I've been fantasizing about for a long time. So I just had to geek out and, and share this with you all today. And hopefully it stimulates some imagination and some creativity. I'm still, at least for the time being, committed to homesteading on the land. But when seasteading units, when you can have a floating 10-acre homestead, you know, there's there's a lot of appeal to that. 360 beaches for starters. I don't. I guess you could engineer it with a beach. Yeah. <laughs> when we get to and this this requires uh, a huge scaling up in production for everything for humanity uh, to be able to do this to build a like for me to be like well you could do it today like you could do this with today's technology you could build a floating 10 acre homestead with you know, 10 feet of dirt of soil. Like you go down to, you know, you could build this thing big enough. You could have a, a metal or cement, you know, just giant tray. Maybe it's got cells reinforcement. Maybe it's got a steel underbelly, giant steel pontoons around it. And you could attach this device with the solar panels and the, and the wave turbines. And you could power this thing and have a floating 10 acre city. Like you could do this. It's just that today, what would that cost? Who could, who could afford, like, what would it take? I mean, it would take, it would take a king, a king's ransom, a kingly sum. I mean, it would take a government, did I say government? Shit. It would take a government project really to, or, or, you know, a crazy billionaire, uh, who, who is essentially, you know, we're we're talking about US dollars. Every, by the way, everybody who's super rich today is rich in cooperation with government. Anybody who's rich today in, in measured in US dollars, is is at some level, and I don't mean to demean this. Might be entirely. This is not whether it's righteous or not. Just to point out this reality: this that it is in cooperation and by the consent of the U.S. government that they have that money. So if they, if someone with, <clears throat> I don't know, tens of millions of dollars, maybe would do it, got a wild hair up their butt and said, "I want to develop this." Well, if they did it today, and it costs them say ten million dollars today. It's like with all technology, the price comes down, the accessibility to the average human being comes down. Next thing you know, the average working man is going, you know what? I'm going to start saving up so that I can afford a seastead and, and retire. And like, that would be that. That's, that's a critical point. Then that, that's where we're coming to. I hope, I mean, I haven't gamed this one out specifically with seasteading and this kind of construction technology, but right. like 10 years, 10 years time, could we, could we, could we, could that be a comp that, that a common working man? Or a woman is able to say, you know what, I'm going to save up and get one of them floating homesteads. And it's not a big deal for them to afford it and, and all the things that, that, that are necessary to make it practical. All right, we got another super chat before we go to our uh, feature video for the day. Chris Cole for $5. How would those on disability provided by government create a livable, independent income? Well, Chris, uh, this is Chris Cole, who organized victims, is still organizing victims of family law, maybe not for Kokosh at the moment, getting ready for 2024. Um, 
I mean, this is a big, big kind of abstract question, Chris. Uh, create a livable independent income. I mean, it's really more like, how do people do that? Uh, the thing, if you're on disability, the question is, like, do you, do you really need a disability or, and is the government providing the best disability for you? Um, and would you have a better disability system in the free market? And this is something that libertarians really don't talk about enough because we want the social safety net. Like when, when non-libertarians hear libertarians say, yeah, we, we should get rid of the welfare state. We're not saying get rid of welfare. We're not saying get rid of cooperation. We're not saying get rid of the social safety net as, as, as it's become known under it, its monopolization by government. But, you know, how would it create a, you know, the, how would you create a livable independent income? Well, if you're on disability, the assumption is that you became disabled at some point and that some insurance that you've paid for before that is going to cover that. And this is, again, it's a Chinese finger trap kind of thing that we're stuck in because government has taken over these risk mitigation functions. And as a result, you know, dependency on that makes it harder to create an independent system because, well, what happens, like what I'm suggesting is this ideal system where, you know, if I, if I've been working for, you know, even just a few months and I'm, I'm paying into this system, you know, I'm, I'm in a pool of insurance with everybody else working, maybe in that factory, maybe in that industry, maybe everybody who has bought employee insurance from some other insurance company. And if you get injured on the job, they're going to compensate you properly with a better, more effective, more efficient system than we would ever get from government. If it's someone who's, you know, permanently disabled because they were born that way, then we're going to have even better systems that are more preemptive in addressing these problems. I want to get to the point where health insurance is so inexpensive in America that when you, when, when you have a child, you buy them a lifetime health insurance plan and they're taken care of for life. Like, in, and, and, and if they're born with a disability, they, they have all of their related healthcare costs covered. And, you know, if they have any, you know, failure in their health that, that, that prevents them from providing for themselves that they are covered in that later as well. So that being said, let's get to our feature video for today. I got to set this up with a bong rip since we're already doing bong rips in the show today. While you're doing a bong rip, sir, can I take a moment? Um, all right. So I just want to make sure I get that queued up. Uh, so, uh, for those that don't know, um, I, I, uh, I've got this thing where I've been doing with this stream yard that I want people to know that if you're a Patreon member, you're going to be able to access the backstage area of this show, which means you could be watching what we're about to watch before everybody else sees it. So if you're a top tier Patreon member, you're going to get backstage access to watching this stuff in live time. And, uh, you can always pop in and say hello. So. With that being said, sir, I've got the clip queued up and uh, ready with you are. All right. So the video you're about to see was my presentation at the First Church of Cannabis in near Indianapolis, Indiana, introduced by Pastor Bill Levin. And this was soon after I finally brought my legal case in Texas to a close. We were touring with No Force One, which is parked outside the first church of cannabis as these speeches are being delivered 
It was a lot of fun. It was a great audience. And I hope that people get a lesson from this in defending yourself and standing up to the state. So this video is about 30 minutes. We're going to have five minutes left in the show when we come back. We're going to be taking questions at that point. So if you have questions about this process, I especially want to be able to answer those. I want you to be able to apply this to your own life when you have challenges with the state, with legal issues. And I want you to be able to see the letter that I wrote that is the, the Kokesh letter in our motion to dismiss, dismiss based on religious grounds. So to summarize the story, I successfully turned four drug felonies and a misdemeanor in Wise County, Texas, of all places, into effectively $180 fine. I'd say that's a pretty big legal victory. So with that, CJ, roll tape, please. Is the audio coming through there? Yes. And not for money, but because it's needed. So how do we help people? Well, sometimes we go over and we physically help and carry stuff in. Other time we do it by introducing them to the right people. Other time we do it by help spreading their word. The good things that they're doing out in the world and people can't hear their voice. So you take what they're saying and you repeat it and you said he said it. You know, it's like how we discovered um, hearts and hands. You know, you know, we found him and we and we agreed on everything and, and we started walking the path together. So helping others when you can and not for money because it's needed always brings out the greatest adventure in life. Wonderful things happen when you do this. So without any further ado, um, this is never had this before. So the introduction has to be correct. Um, we're going to have the last president you'll ever need. Okay. Uh, Adam? Uh, yeah, come on. Yeah, seriously, you can stand up. I'm, I'm giving you an early plug. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Adam Kresh. Did I, did I say that right? Say it right. Adam Kokesh. Kokesh. Adam Kokesh. Never say it right because... All right, thank you so much, Bill. Hello, Church of Cannabis. I love you. What a what a wonderful evening. What a great group of people to be with tonight. And God, I gotta say, Bill, if I wish I had a pair of rose-colored glasses like that, because if I did, I would have smoked before getting up here, and no one would have been able to tell the difference. Uh, I've been traveling for a long time, touring uh, to promote our book, Freedom about how we make the world a better place by getting past this paradigm of violence and statism. And I've traveled through almost every different cannabis jurisdiction in the United States and always have to ask, how legal is it here? How legal is it here? And it's pretty amazing how far we've come. Most places in the United States, you really don't have to be paranoid anymore. Like, that's amazing. We have come so far. In fact, I think we've come so far. We've made weed so legal that it's not even fun to smoke anymore. I know that's crazy. We're like, it's when I, okay, Bill's going to take issue with that. Well, when I used to travel, 
Like, just years ago, like, and, and you know this from touring, like, people would come up like, hey, man, I, I got you some weed. Look at what I scored for you, right? Now, you know, at, at post parties, it's like, all right, so did anybody bring anything for us? And they're like, oh, you didn't pick any up on the store on the way here? Like, it's, it's that much of no big deal anymore. We are at, I think, the end of the beginning of the end of the war on drugs, as, as Winston Churchill might have described it. Is this not a beautiful time to be alive in America? Yeah, let's celebrate how far we've come. Now, I'm here because I'm running for the Libertarian Party nomination for president, and I, I really like the way Bill phrased it, the last president of the United States you'll ever need. I would say you'll never need. Do we really need someone in some far-off capital telling us how to live our lives here in our communities? I don't think so. So my platform is really fundamentally different. It's based on localization. You know, I, I, anytime someone introduces me as a presidential candidate, I always have to be like, oh, whoa, 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 don't get the wrong idea. I'm not some psychopath. <laughs> like, really, it's who wants to wield this power over other human beings that shouldn't exist in the first place. My platform is based on ethics. If you give me a power over other people that shouldn't exist, you say, here, put on the ring. What do you do? Throw the ring in the fire, right? So we're going to take the federal government through a peaceful, orderly, responsible bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations. Now, there are two really important issues that, it, that this addresses, although I found with localization, every stone I turn over and go, oh, what about that, what about that, what? It, it makes everything better across the board. Centralized control, we take it for granted, but it has so many disastrous effects that localizing power ultimately down to the community as in a voluntary unit, like, it solves so many problems. And uh, I was speaking at a, a California independence movement event a few weeks ago, CalExit. Uh, everybody's heard, right, there's a movement in California to split off and be their own country. You guys, you, I, I don't know if this is the right crowd to ask, but you wouldn't miss them here, would you? <laughs> right? Now, you would think is, if you were a, a, a libertarian or a conservative in the state of California that you might be worried, right, if California goes independent, it's going to go more liberal. But even if what you want is a smaller government in that sense, if California goes independent and goes slightly more liberal, the viciousness of that state government, its effectiveness and its ability to rip off the citizens is decreased down to a small fraction of what it is today when it's disconnected from the fiat currency system, the federal government's corrupt corporatist policies, all the regulation and legal nonsense that we get from Washington, D.C., so even there, everybody gets what they want. But more importantly, if California asserts their right to say we're going to be independent, do you think that state government is ever going to be able to stop, say, Orange County from breaking off and saying, well, we want to be independent too? And what this is a fundamental assertion of is that you own yourself, top to bottom. And I love where we are with cannabis on this issue in the United States today. People say cannabis is a gateway drug. You guys think cannabis is a gateway drug? No. Well, you're wrong. It is a gateway drug because you cannot smoke pot and not realize that government is totally full of shit. 
It's a gateway to freedom, to awareness, to acknowledgement of the fact that you own yourself as a free, beautiful, independent human being. That's such a beautiful thing to see that, that humanity is going through realizing as we overcome the drug war. So there are two major specific issues that, that I want to bring into this campaign that I think are national embarrassments that have lingered for far too long. And one of them for me as a veteran is military veteran suicides. 22 a day, right? right. Hugely underreported statistic, if anything. And having been through this myself, you know, I, 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 when I got out of the Marine Corps, I went to the VA in Washington, D.C., supposedly the, the flagship of veterans care in America. And I went and I talked to a shrink for five minutes. Don't, just don't, I'm, I'm having trouble sleeping. Can I get something to help with this? I walked out of there that day with a little brown paper bag, five prescriptions. Three of them had suicide listed as a side effect. They are literally killing veterans on behalf of the pharmaceutical industry. And it was only because I had access to cannabis that I was able to avoid this. I took the only one of the prescriptions I took was Xanax as needed for anxiety. And I was like, wow, this is like smoking pot with a headache. Screw this. But if I hadn't had access, I could have been just another statistic. Now, politically, libertarians, we like to use the word privatize. And in some ways this has a bad connotation politically because traditionally privatize has meant take things out of the public's hands and give them to private interests, corporations, the rich assholes who pull the strings on the system, right? But in this case, the solution with localization, privatization is totally different. I want to see the VA privatized. Give every single veteran in America one ownership voting share of the VA and the drug war. Give us the right to medicate with the freedom that we allegedly fought for. And I guarantee you won't have 22 veterans committing suicide a day in this country. The other one is Native American rights. And I say this in every opportunity I get to talk about this platform. But like, this doesn't get talked about. Like, we've just kind of accepted, oh yeah, remember how we screwed over and murdered and poisoned all those people and then, you know, pushed them onto reservations? Yeah, we just kind of, we were hoping we could just forget about that. No! No! And every time it comes up, you go, wow, how have we not done something about this yet? So it's really simple. If you're running for president of the United States and you are not in your platform specifically offering every native tribe in this country sovereignty, what you're saying is that we should keep them on the reservations. We should keep them victimized. We should keep the violations of the treaties in place. That is absolute nonsense. And I think if you're running for president and you don't have a serious proposition on how to deal with native rights, and veteran suicide, you should not be taken seriously as a presidential candidate. So, this idea of localization is so universal in its appeal because it's about customizing government, right? Why should we be fighting issue by issue? 
And it's kind of sad today if, if, with the polarization of this country. If you're a liberal and you meet a conservative on the street, you kind of have to meet each other as enemies. Because you're going to argue over issues. One of you is going to win in the national political sense and have your will forced on the people who lost that debate. But the only people who win in this situation are the people who control this process. All the corrupt special interests in Washington. And so the difference with this campaign is really a fundamental paradigm shift to say, let's stop arguing issues and instead take issue with these corrupt assholes trying to force their will on us from thousands of miles away. So I actually have a little bit of an exclusive story that I've been waiting to tell just for this occasion because it's been kind of an interesting legal situation for me. This has been pending for two years now. And Bill, you might remember, and, and I know the people who are here on my team who have been with me for a long time, and I hope everybody gets to meet uh, Michael Wood and, and uh, Marcus Poulos, our press secretary, and, and David uh, Dunlop, our driver in the back there, and my government wife. We're not officially married yet. We're wearing rings. Uh, we're government married. We haven't had our own ceremony yet. My wife, Samantha Miller, is here. Yeah, for, for putting up with me on the road. I mean, come on, that's got to be worth a round of applause, right? Uh, when we announced this campaign two years ago in January, and we were running and started abnormally early because we're not running to say, hey, I'm the best guy for the job. You should vote for me because I look good in a suit and tie, and I sound authoritative, and I should be in charge of stuff. No, it's nonsense. I mean, this idea even that, oh, I'm qualified to be president of the United States. Really? Like, I, you want a human being with their finger on the red button? This, you know, nobody, nobody in the world is qualified to be in charge of a fundamentally criminal organization that is the federal government of the United States. So when we announced January of 2018, it was January 16th, I was driving through Wise County, Texas. Don't jump ahead, Bill. I know you know where this story is going, right? So I was driving the bus. Y'all see outside, No Force One, our campaign bus. And I was pulled over by Texas State Troopers. Uh, first for swerving. Okay. And I... As I always do, when the officer came to my window, I'm very friendly, and I'm, I'm engaging with them. You know, really, what's going on, officer? How you doing? You know, and I, I know, generally, if you're not really good at it, don't talk to cops. You will only get yourself in trouble, right? Has everybody seen, you know, like, enough videos about this? Has this gotten out online? I, show of hands. Does everybody know how to, how, to, how to not deal with cops, basically, right? Don't talk to cops unless you absolutely have to, or you're getting really good video out of it. And in this case, officer comes up to the, 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 uh, the, the passenger window of the RV, and I lean out, and he, he hands me a warning citation for swerving, and I hand him a copy of my book. He goes back to his car, right? And I, I don't, you know, I get back on the road, no big deal. 45 minutes later, I get pulled over again. And you go, this time for speeding, I think for going like three over. Right. 
And so I have my dog in the RV. They pull me over. They have me on the side of the road. I'm live streaming this on Facebook. They say, well, we want to search your vehicle. Well, of course, I decline the search. Duh. And they say, well, tough. We're going we're gonna to bring a drug dog. And so they, they actually had a drug dog go around the vehicle while my dog was in the RV. But that's, that's how we knew there were drugs in the vehicle. You guys all know this is nonsense, right? That what, what, are, what, are, what are police drug sniffing dogs? Probable cause, wrong. 85% wrong, yeah. They're probable cause generating units, right? That's what their job is, is to generate probable cause, not, not to actually find anything or, or catch bad guys or anything that, that, that we would hope government would be doing with the resources that we give them to provide for the public safety as opposed to go after people for victimless crimes. Anyway, I was booked into the, uh, the Wise County Jail after some contraband, we'll just say, was found in my vehicle. And... I ended up, uh, I did 10 days in, in the Weiss County Jail because I refused to pay bail or post bond and, and basically negotiated it down to zero. They wanted $80,000 bond or something ridiculous like that. But just by staying there for 10 days, being a pain in the butt. By the way, um, is anybody here sick today? Anybody got coronavirus? No? If you have coronavirus, please cover your mouth when you cough. Or, or go outside. You guys don't have to worry about getting sick from me. I've been drinking plenty of Corona lately. But if you go, if you go to jail, there's there's a little trick. If if you if you don't want to go to general population, I was just thinking about this because apparently the two million people in jails in the is it two? What's the number? How many people in jail in the United States right now? Too many? Way too many? An exceedingly criminal, absurd too many? Well, what's the actual number now? Does anybody know? 25% of the world's prison population, but out of, out of 330 million Americans, 2.12 million, that sounds about right. I just don't know what the latest number is. They're at, at, at the mercy of the jail system if one person gets let in with a communicable disease. You know, they, they, don't have, they can't you know, socially distance themselves or get, <laughs> use their commissary money to get masks and hand sanitizer, right? So... When I, when I go to jail, and I, and I hope everybody here keeps this little trick in their back pocket, if you don't want to go to general population, all you have to do is refuse to take the tuberculosis test. And they can't, because you might have tuberculosis, we can't let you into the general population. Yeah, so you know, they, they try to, you see, when they go and they try to put a little needle in your arm, you just say, oh, it's against my religion to let government agents put needles in my body, and they can't do anything about that. It's great. So I did 10 days, I got out, and they told me I was facing a misdemeanor for cannabis possession, a felony for tampering, and felonies for coke, mushrooms, and DMT. So four, yeah, it's, a, it's a fun bus. Uh, so four felonies and a misdemeanor. We have a lot of fun on the road, don't we? Um, but now we are traveling with no contraband whatsoever. We learned our lesson, and we're going to be good from now on. I wish I could say that with a straight face. Damn. All right. So I was, I was facing, uh, it, took, well, it took them a year to arraign me on the misdemeanor charge. I had to drive from Arizona back out to Texas. Showed up. I was like, wait, wait, you don't even have the, the felony charges filed on me yet? This is ridiculous. So I went in and they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I filed a motion for discovery and for, you have to, you have to file a motion for a court recorder in Texas. If you don't ask for one, there's just no record of your hearing sometimes. 
Like, really? How many, has, how many of you have been to court in this room? Is there, do, do, in Indiana, do they let you... That's almost everybody. Um, in Indiana... <laughs> yeah, no surprise here, right? In Indiana, do they let you bring in uh, video cameras or, or record... No? No. At least not more Yeah. Yeah, well, th- that's the norm in the United States. We have a fundamentally secret court system that doesn't operate with transparency. You go, huh. Geez, really? Like, yeah. That's how they get away with everything they get away with. So it took them a year and a half then to arraign me on the felony charges. And I went before the judge in front of a packed courthouse, and they had all these guys lined up in black and white striped suits and people in regular clothes behind me and lawyers on the other side. And I showed up in cargo shorts and flip-flops and my little plaid short sleeve button-down because I'm not going to dress up for this crap. And I'd rather dress up for church than dress up for court when it's the Church of Cannabis at least, right? So this... So the judge is, you know, at an arraignment, I'm, I'm going to, to defend myself. And his job is to determine whether or not I'm competent enough to defend myself. <laughs> and at one point in the proceeding, I had to be like, yes, judge, I don't call him your honor. Sir, if I'm feeling nice, judge otherwise, no judge, I can read and write English and I know how to use the internet. I mean, it was it was really embarrassing what he was doing. So I, I you know I punked him and turned around right back and he said, "Why are you doing this?" I said, "Because the drug war is bullshit and lawyers have a stranglehold on this country. That's why I'm defending myself." And he said, "Are there any other reasons?" Said, well, uh, for fun. <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, this is fun for you." I'm saying, like, well, yeah, it's fun for me. This is kind of like my job, standing up to government. Isn't it fun for you being government? You get to sit two feet higher than everybody else in this courtroom and look around. Everybody here has to do exactly what you say. They, they have to pay it. They can't even pull their cell phones out. They have to pay attention to you. Really, you don't have fun with this. So I had some nice moments of embarrassing him. And so they knew they were on notice what I could do in court at least. And I'm a member of the Native American Church, the Oklahoma Native American Church. And so I actually, I carry a card that, that has that federal authorization. It has my photograph. It cites the federal law. It says the bearer of this card is entitled to yada, yada, yada. And he, he, he read my rap sheet. And at the end of reading, for those of you that don't know, I have a bit of a history of civil disobedience. <laughs> it's quite a rap sheet. <laughs> When you look at it in black and white in legal terms, it looks really good. <laughs> By his standards, maybe really bad. But he went through reading at the end of it. I was like, all right, so this is to the DA. All right, sir, so uh, what was the last time you had someone in here defending themselves, bragging about their rap sheet? And he says, uh, yeah, it's never happened. Yeah, I'm not sure what to do. So I took out my Native American church card. I put it on his desk. I said, have you ever seen one of these? And he's like... No. You might want to go make a photocopy of that and come back in a couple weeks tell me what you really want to do with this. Now, there have been enough cases in the United States where people have been denied re- religious right to... Yeah, I'm, 
There are plenty of cases in the United States where people have, have tried to play the religious exemption card under the RFRA, Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1995, which is the federal law that allows for people to claim this religious exemption because Congress knew at some point that they couldn't maintain their credibility that America is the land of the free and tell natives, yeah, but you can't practice your religion with peyote. So they had to carve out a very specific legal space for that, right? And there have been a bunch of people who have tried, well, I'm Church of Ganja, so I'm free to... No, because this, 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 and this. And they, they've put out all of these criteria by denying... Like, I'm just very fortunate in my timing in this case because they have established the legal precedent by which they deny people this right. So I wrote up a letter, and I'm, I'm really excited to be posting this. I'll, I'll post it online tonight. I'm really excited to be sharing it with you tonight, Bill. And this is the first time telling the story. Really grateful to be getting it out on the Internet for everybody who's watching online and hopefully sharing this video because this is hopefully a legal story that ends up being helpful. So I wrote this letter that had all these criteria for the religious defense. And I went back and forth. They said, well, it's not good because it's missing this. And I said, okay, well, then I'll put that in there. Well, it's not good because it's missing. Okay, well, I'll put that in there. How long do you want to go back and forth on this? It's been two years now. And it was two years. They're like, all right, we'll offer you pretrial diversion. And I said, shove it. I want to win on the religious defense. And so they kept going back and forth. And finally, they said, all right. And this is, this is now drag on. This was last week in Texas that I yeah from January 2018 and I haven't talked about this at all publicly because of the legal liability pending it's finally wrapped up so like I said I'm really excited to be premiering this story at the Church of Cannabis for the first time ever because it's it's got a really happy ending if you couldn't tell where this was going I'm not in jail right now right <laughs> so what they finally came down, I told them, like, well, hey, if I'm going to take a pretrial diversion, it better be the best deal possible. And I want on the record that you responded to the religious defense, that this was the pressure that led you to do this, that you were doing this at least out of a pretend respect for my rights, because I asserted my rights. I'd like to encourage people to assert their rights. And, and so what I ended up doing is filing a motion to dismiss with this letter, which is, to whom it may concern, my name is Adam Kokesh, I assert my religious right to be exempt from all Controlled Substance Act laws. And they came back and then they offered me the very best pretrial diversion offer that they possibly could, which basically comes out to $480. So I took four felonies and a misdemeanor and by applying the religious defense, got it reduced to a $480 citation. What else can I say to make sound effects happen? <laughs> All right. So, like I said, this, this message of localization is really bringing people together. And I would like to say that, in a sense, everybody's a libertarian. They just don't know it yet. If a libertarian is someone who believes in freedom, every human being with an independent will that wants to be respected in the world is some kind of a libertarian. And I think for a long time, we as libertarians have been caught up playing their game. Like I said, arguing issue by issue instead of taking issue with the, the premise of the system. And so I go to the extremes. I'm, I'm of, of Jewish descent, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, well, my, my grandparents left, uh, left Europe to avoid the Holocaust. And so freedom of movement, you know, talking about immigration is obviously very important to me as well. 
but I, I see the rise of fringe white nationalism in the United States as, I mean, it's fringe. You know, Jews will not replace us, tiki torches, y'all saw that, right? It's viscerally disturbing to me from that family history. But I can still say as a libertarian whose worldview is based on love and respect for my fellow human beings, I can still say to those people, look, if you want an ethnostate, like that's disgusting. If you want to form a community based on racial division, if you want to live with people just like that and exclude people who don't meet your standards, okay, I'm never going to live there, but if you can form that community voluntarily and not hurt anybody and not force it on anybody, I still want you to have that right. This is the modern equivalent of, I might disagree with what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. I can go to the flip side of this and say, all right, you're a gun-grabbing socialist who wants to live in a nudist commune in the woods. Great. I'm probably not going to live there either. I'll take my entertainment value from a distance. But similarly, I want you to have that right. And when we get to that kind of love and acceptance, we can really bring people together around freedom and that which unites all of us. So this idea of localization, again, as a matter of national policy. Basically, I'm the none of the above candidate. If you don't want to be ruled, if you don't want to be governed, if you look at the other presidential candidates and say, turd sandwich, giant douche, no thanks, I'm your guy, we don't need a president. And in 2016, if not voting was counted as a vote for nobody, the electoral college results would have been Trump 21, Hillary 72, and nobody in an epic landslide of historic proportions, 445. The American people are ready for fundamental change. So thank you for your time and your attention. And if you want to help make this happen, thank you for being a part of this effort. Thank you for being a part of the Church of Cannabis and spreading all the love that you do here with Bill around your community. This is an awesome group and an awesome opportunity for me. Thank you very much. Sorry, just a couple, couple little uh, admin things. I got copies of my book and palm cards right out front. Happy to sign them for anybody who wants to afterwards. Thank you very much, Bill. I love you. There you go. Yeah, I see. Uh, hi, I love you. Um, Adam, you're awesome. That, that was outstanding. I'm just my cheeks hurt. Um, I got masculine cheeks. Um, I love you. All right, thank you, CJ, for putting that together. This video deserves one immediate addendum. In that speech, I said that I turned it into a four hundred and eighty dollar fine in order to be conservative. Really, I turned it into a $180 fine. That's what I had to pay to get out of there and officially have them leave me alone. I'm technically supposed to send them $25 a month for the next year. 
that happened right before the Corona lockdowns started happening. They haven't contacted me. I haven't gotten anything in the mail. They are still supposed to send me the property that was confiscated that was not actually drugs, according to them, and illegal. So I'm supposed to get a box and some containers and some things back from them. I'm not going to give them another dime until I get it back. And when I do, then I will probably have no reason to give them any money anyway. So $180 fine, a bit of a pain in the butt. You can beat the charge. You can't beat the ride. But sometimes beating the charge, especially on such righteous grounds, is extremely satisfying. And with that, we got three minutes left in the show. Uh, any, uh, any comments, questions? I mean, I guess as a legal story, that thing's pretty complete. We're going to be putting in the notes everywhere you see this show, everywhere you see that video, the link to where CJ has that PDF of the legal defense motion that I filed representing myself. And it has within it the letter. And the letter is so cool. I don't want to read the whole thing as part of the show. There's a lot of legalese in there. Talks about how I'm a Wiccan because Wicca is one of the federally recognized religions. So, um, sorry, I got a text from CJ. Anyway, um, well, to CJ, why are you texting me during the show? I thought you could put, uh, put notes on screen. I, I wasn't texting you during the show. Uh, it's probably a late text. Uh, I was. Message you oh, in the like the it beginning seems of the fix itself now. That was from like twenty five minutes ago, sir. Um, what well, was broken? I didn't uh, look. There was, I didn't, a, there I was a lag delay in the very point. beginning of that video that uh, that I I just noticed and it fixed itself out somewhere in there. So, um, oh, okay. Well, if there are any issues for people watching it live. We're going to be posting it as a separate clip in high resolution with just that little footnote at the end about uh, about the fines. So the letter that's in that document is, you know, to whom it may concern. And what I was really hoping to achieve with the total victory from this was that you could print out the Kokesh letter and it would be so legally recognized that anytime any cop even tries to arrest you for any drug charges, you could say, hey, can you look at the letter in my wallet? And, you know, you can arrest me, but my lawyer's going to send that to the DA before the morning, and then I'm going to be let out, and you're just going to get sued for violating my civil liberties. You know, may- maybe that would be a, that would be a place that, that we could go with this, but um, I don't think so. I don't, I, but, it, yeah, it's, it's a really cool document, and if you find it, if you find yourself in a position facing drug charges like this, it's worth a shot. File, pre- file the pretrial motion to dismiss. I mean, you got to watch that whole video and get the the strategy as it was applied. If people want to ask me specific questions um, in applying this and email me later, adam at thefreedomline.com, I'm happy to help other people beat charges like this. So, Mr. Freedom. That's wonderful. Uh, Renee Meyer has similar. She said she fought the court in Rapid City for over two years and started writing my own court papers and got them to give me half a misdemeanor over some BS charges for felony counts. So that's good. So it can be done. People should be encouraged to stand up for themselves, right? Yep. Absolutely. Never take a plea. I used to do the never take, and this is technically a plea, but it was like a plea to a citation basically from, you know, all the legal hassle that I would have, like what I paid in $180 
was less than I would have paid in, in gas to get to my next court date. So that's as good as winning. If, they, if, if you take a plea and it's negotiating down to that, because you stood up and fought and asserted yourself, you negotiated a better deal by doing so and made it harder for them. One of the under the other um, sort of parts of the story left out is that the uh, the DA told me when I met with him that uh, you know they were on the verge of bankruptcy with their department and they were overloaded with cases and they would basically do anything to avoid going to trial with me, but they were trying to give me you know way worse deals at the beginning and then I got it down all the way to $180. They wanted me, another, another part of the story left out one thing when I went and exact, I had to check into, I'm in the, the pretrial diversion program for a year. So I'm supposed to spend them. I'm supposed to send them $25 a month for a year. I don't have to do anything else, but they, like we haven't got literally, I haven't got anything in the mail. Uh, they're shut down for Corona there. Um, I mean, I don't think they would be at this point. Who knows? But they're supposed to send me a bill in the mail for $25. And if they send it to me, I'm going to send them a letter back saying, send me my stuff back and maybe I'll send you your money. Um, you know, if you want to honor this deal in good faith, you as an individual, I mean, do I, do I have a need to honor a good deal, honor a deal with government that has honored no deals against me and, and, and violated me on a far deeper level? Of course not. Uh, but they wanted me to take a drug dependent screening test and they wanted me to take a drug test and like a P test. Right. And I was like, no, that's not part of the deal. Go call the DA. Ask, ask like, I'm not gonna, no, I'm not gonna do that. Tell, tell him you can take me to trial or you can let me through without doing this. And I'm like, shit, all right. Well, I'm gonna give you a $180 check today. Like, the, I, that's what I agreed with with the DA. You try to get me to do any of this other fucky shit. You try to get me to sign out, like, I'm gonna report to you or tell you where I am. No, 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 I'm gonna give you $180 today. I'm gonna sign some papers and peace out. And like, that's it. And if that's not what I'm getting here, I'll go back over to the courthouse. And I'll tell the DA, we're going to trial. And I meant it. And I was in that position. You have to put yourself in that position mentally, too, going into this. Not to file my motion and try that letter. I mean, you can always. But, yeah, yeah in a sense, you have to be willing to, to, to go all the way with it. And it sucks um, that our system of justice has this, like, combative element against people for victimless crimes. But that's the reality. Healthy disrespect for authority asks, does it work for non-drug issues like not wearing masks? I think under the states of emergency, the uh, mask thing and religious exemption probably isn't going to be relevant. It's not going to be an argument that holds water, if I had to guess. But does it work against with, with other things? Yes, absolutely. And one of them would be like, we, we might end up doing this with zoning here. Although really we're, we're doing the sovereignty defense ultimately. Like, no, it's a sovereign land. What do you, you know, I own it, you know, low deal title. Fuck you. Um, I, I'm not really worried about county zoning coming after us anymore for a lot of reasons anyway, but it would work. It would work for zoning things. If you say like my home is a religious facility or is a, is a manifestation of my religious beliefs and therefore is exempt, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from, you know, under the standards of First Amendment, whatever. Um, yeah, this this letter and this argument in general can be adopted to anything that's a victimless crime, essentially. Yeah, and some things better than others. Uh, but the thing is, right now, not wearing a mask is considered a crime with a victim, right? Every everybody around you is a potential victim. So, yeah, I don't think it would work for that. But I, I, does anybody have any other ideas or examples they'd want to ask me about? Um, 
But these are examples. I don't know. There's one here, Luke himself. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I don't necessarily understand the full. It just says, what about the one use per life pretrial judicial diversion? He's saying. That might be a Texas thing. Like the, 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 some jurisdictions have a, you get one shot at pretrial diversion and that's it. And pretrial diversion is, uh, where they, they just say, stay out, just don't get in trouble in my county for a year and this will just completely disappear. We'll just drop the charges in a year. It's like pending dropping the charges. All right. I'll see you do that one. Well, I don't think there's any limit to it. I mean, it's, you could get it, you know, every time you get in trouble, hypothetically. Um, if you're, if the jurisdiction in which you are being charged has that as part of their policy as, as one of their potential outcomes. All right. With that being said, any last producer notes, CJ, or can we put a bow on this one? Nope. Send it on. I didn't hear anything. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Um, it says you can hear me. There you go. Now I can hear you. Okay. Um, I had to click back off, click back on, I guess. So, uh, producer notes, you can reach me, producer at thefreedomline.com. Go to thefreedomline.com and sign up to that today. Uh, I wanted to say that, uh, tomorrow hopefully we'll have a cleaner connection and, uh, we'll see where we go there. But, uh, if you want to tune in, uh, Jim's gonna be working on the, the Patreon stuff so you can get backstage access to the, Free, the studio of freedom, as I'm calling it, and uh, and you can see what we're doing in the morning as Adam prepares for his his uh, the show to get the the content ready. Uh, and you never know who could pop in, so if you wanted to pop in and 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 check out what we're doing, that's a great way to get into interaction with us. It's uh, outside of Facebook and YouTube, and kind of just something that we can offer to exclusive Patreon members. So. Uh, with that, sir, I have nothing left for you. Take it home. Peace and love, y'all. We'll talk to you tomorrow.